FatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the VatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I am uh, I am pumped up for this week's episode coming off Oregon State's gutty 21-17 victory at California. Probably the, the program's biggest win since the 2016 Civil War. KEZI reporter Robbie Fueling, he was in the Bay Area last weekend and filed a, a great report from Memorial Stadium. Robbie is a super nice guy and uh, will join today's show for a breakdown of the game and uh, the aftermath surrounding the big win. Considering uh, what we saw the previous week against Utah, that had to have been a, a very nice surprise for Robbie down in Berkeley. Before uh, jumping into that conversation with Robbie, I wanted to take a, a couple minutes at the top of the show to lay out uh, kind of my thoughts on the big Rooster Stadium renovation proposal that was announced last week. That broke uh, right after I taped my previous podcast with Marcus Greaves, but I actually uh, I don't mind the timing because it gave me a few days to kind of think about the news before I, I really said anything on record. I think for, first off, um, this is absolutely huge for the football program and, and really the athletic department as a whole. I'm old enough to remember when Reese Stadium was Parker Stadium and the old east side was basically a Texas high school football stadium and not necessarily that nice of a one at that. It was uh, it was a big freaking deal when the Raising Research Project finally broke ground and the new east side was opened in 2005. Uh, the south end zone was next and the terrace section in the north end zone was completed a few years ago, just le- leaving Oregon State then with three quarters you know, of a super nice, modern, updated college football stadium. I guess, well, the the exception to that being the roof on the Valley Football Center. That thing, uh, that thing has uh, just has to get replaced in this this new renovation. But but anyhow, those those whole those those renovations over the years have kind of made the old West Side, I'd say, even more of an eyesore. And this, you know, isn't even factoring in the the West Side's ina- inadequate concourse, bathrooms, concessions layout, and the press box. Don't don't even get me started on the Reeser press box. So the, the proposal to redo the West Side has an estimated budget of $175 million and what I think is a really ambitious timeline of having the entire project completed um, in time for the 2023 football season. And unlike the East Side expansion, this proposal would actually reduce Research Stadium's seating capacity, which I think is a, a pretty smart idea considering the declining attendance numbers across all of college football right now. You know, Research Stadium's official seating capacity is 45,674 today, and uh, the proposal did not list an official number, but I imagine capacity would be reduced in the neighborhood maybe of about 40,000 seats once the project is completed. And for a program like Oregon State, I, I think that would be a really, really good number of seats to have in, in your stadium. Uh, a couple other uh, notes on the project. Um, it does not look like Oregon State would need to find a temporary home during construction because the current east side uh, plus the end zones uh, should seat more than 30,000 people, which is, you know, that's more around uh, kind of what Oregon State's announced attendance has been the last few years. So that the, the Beavers should be just fine 
playing at home through the renovation. And that would certainly be huge if that is in fact the case, because that, that can be tricky with regards to trying to find a temporary stadium. Obviously there aren't too many examples in the state that would be big enough for Oregon state to play home games. So being able to stay at research stadium through the whole project would be very big. The proposal the proposal, excuse me, also states the new west side will have a year-round use of some sort in the form of a public-private partnership. And this is also a really smart idea to help out with the funding for the project and also maximizing use of the area. This has happened at other stadiums uh, throughout the country recently. I know Colorado State's uh, new football stadium being one. It is a year-round use facility with, I think there are classrooms in the Colorado State, the new Colorado State Stadium. Just having either university, um, something from the university in the stadium or having businesses businesses operate at Research Stadium year round uh, is just a complete win-win in my opinion. You know, whether it's a couple bars or restaurants or, you know, something like that or, you know, a, a private company like Samaritan Health Services, which already has a facility next to Research Stadium. One comment that I, I have seen from several people is... Why work on the stadium when A, the money could be spent elsewhere, and B, football attendance is not stadium influenced? It's more about the product on the field. And I do understand that argument to a degree that, you know, in, in a perfect world, Oregon State would pump that $175 million directly into the football program, you know, kind of behind the scenes, fixing a lot of the a lot of the smaller details that maybe the public doesn't see over the course of several years instead of just renovating the stadium. You know, the Beavers don't come close to selling out now, obviously, and tickets are, are readily available. So I, I do understand, you know, some people just saying, you know, why work on the stadium instead of funding the actual product on the field? But, you know, I think a lot of the people that, that say that don't understand that everything is connected and this money that is being raised specifically for the stadium, you know, which is a, a big ticket project that rich people like to donate money towards. Yeah, it, it's not as if this money is just going to be there uh, no matter what for anything else. It, it's it's getting raised just for the stadium. So I just don't buy that argument that, you know, that Oregon State is being foolish trying to renovate the stadium instead of spending money elsewhere. I, I think that's a flawed argument. You know, things like stadiums, you know, uniforms and locker rooms, I think they matter a whole heck of a lot more in recruiting than some fans would like to admit. I mean, renovating the old West Side, it would complete Oregon State Stadium and show a commitment to, to the football program and would undoubtedly help Jonathan Smith and his staff recruit. It also gives the staff something to sell the the current recruits, you know, the high school sophomores, juniors, and even seniors. You can you can pitch them that the stadium that's being worked on it could be finished in time for these current recruits to actually play in. I've I've long thought it was a mistake for Oregon State to wait so long to finish the stadium. You know, it was only a, it was a decade ago that Mike Riley had the Beavers on, on the brink of the Rose Bowl in 2008 and 2009. The, the economy was obviously down then, and interest in the football program was very, very high because the Beavers were coming off probably their best four-year stretch maybe in program history from 2006 to 2009. You know, I, I always thought that the athletic department could have gotten a great deal on financing uh, West Side renovation back back then, you know, kind of taking on minimal debt due to the economic conditions and and be able to finish the stadium for cheap. 
but you know, the athletic department, it wasn't flush with cash and the stadium just kind of stayed as it was. And then the football program took a downturn and we are kind of where we are now. So I guess in conclusion, kind of kudos to, to Scott Barnes and the athletic department for putting together this proposal. I know that spending $175 million on stadium renovations in 2019 doesn't necessarily sound like the wisest investment, but I, I think it's imperative for the program to, to finish the stadium if it wants to compete in the Pac-12 and kind of the Power 5 landscape as a whole. You know, it also gives the, the fan base something to look forward to as Jonathan Smith's rebuild could, could be rocky at times as it has been so far. You know, make, make no mistake, college football is an arms race. Oregon State has been left behind. And I think this is a valiant attempt for the school to catch back up. Thanks uh, for listening to me ramble for a bit there on the stadium. I have no idea if that made sense, but I fully support this project and uh, its ambitious timeline. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back with Robbie Fueling from KZI. Thanks, everybody. From Gill Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. So, uh, so Robbie, Oregon State, uh, Oregon State, a week ago, it looks inept and lifeless, pretty much in a, in a home loss to Utah. You know, two and four overall. It seemed like the season was kind of slipping away there. Be be honest with me. When you boarded that plane to head down to the Bay Area, you uh, you didn't think the Beavers would be picking up win number three against Cal, did you? Uh, I I didn't think so, but I didn't think uh, they would be blown out by any means. But I thought it would be a very competitive game, at least. You know, I wasn't expecting what uh, we saw on Saturday. That's for sure. After a 45 point loss to Utah. <laughs> I guess. So what what was kind of the mood of the team, you know, on the sideline and then after the game? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people, probably including myself, kind of thought the Beavers had turned a corner, you know, with that road win at UCLA. And then they follow that up with their worst performance of the season by far, I would say, against Utah. And I, I guess in hi- I guess in hindsight, it maybe shouldn't have been that surprising that Oregon State struggled against arguably the you know arguably the Pac-12's best team. But that performance was just so bad. I thought that it was it was kind of startling. And the the way the Beaver yeah, I mean the way the Beavers responded to Cal was just so impressive to me. And really, I. I think it says a lot about the team and the coaching staff, don't you think? Says a lot about the team, says a lot about the coaching staff. And I think just like the way that they can bounce back after, you know, a 45 point loss, embarrassing at home, at homecoming. And, you know, to be on the road, something about this team, Bob, too, that they played significantly better on the road. I mean, Hawaii, UCLA, Cal, they didn't win Hawaii, but they, you know, competed to the very end um, and only lost by a field goal. So I think just like the road mentality of this team is just spectacular. And with everything that they've been doing improvements wise on defense um, to, you know, stop the run a little bit better. And obviously they didn't have, you know, uh, Chase Garbers in, but nonetheless, like they did a great job on defense and offensively they moved the ball um, on, you know, first and second half. So, and then, you know, the team afterwards, I thought this was like the best part, um, Afterwards, I, we were in the locker room. Like the whole media was like lined up in like this like tunnel uh, where Cal's visiting locker room was, and you could like see the players just dumping Gatorade and water on each other. Like it was like <laughs> champ- it was like champagne from the Super Bowl. Like after after a road win at Cal, it was so entertaining to watch. And Coach Smith, after he like kind of quieted everyone down and calmed everyone down after they were celebrating, kind of said to the team like, "Hey." Like, this is, you know, halfway point in the season. We play like we did today. 
Like we could beat anyone in the Pac-12 and, you know, they, this is just the beginning. And it really is if you look at it because they have three wins, three more wins make them bowl eligible, and they got, you know, a little, little less than half the season to go. We'll talk a little bit about the bowl eligibility stuff <laughs> in a bit because, you know, this is something I want to dive into. I think it might be a little early, but, hey, when you yeah. have three wins at this point in the season, we got to bring it up. But you know, what one other point you mentioned that I was talking about on Twitter and a lot of other people kind of have as well, like you said, was the fact that for whatever reason, Oregon State at this point just seems to play better on the road. We saw probably their sharpest performance of the Jonathan Smith era, or at least against the uh, – factory and quality of opponent against California. We saw the Beavers go down and put up a bunch of points on offense against UCLA to pick up a win. We saw the Beavers won at Colorado last year. And, you know, it's not always fair to compare because of level of competition and also the talent on this year's team is probably a little greater than last year. But if you just look at everything overall, I think the Beavers have just been playing better away from Research Stadium than at home. I, why, why do you think that is? I mean, it could just be a coincidence. Or do you think, I mean, do, do you think there is something more to that? Did Coach Smith, I saw Coach Smith talk a little bit about that. Is, is there something yeah. to this or is it just a coincidence? You know, we asked him about that in the post-game press conference. And he said, you know, he, he kind of shrugged and like laughed it off, like saying, you know, I, I don't know. I want to replicate the way we play on the road at home. But, you know, that's certainly not the case. But he's been so pleased with the last two road performances in UCLA and Cal. And personally, I think... For a team like this that is in like a rebuilding stage, like they're definitely improving and they're so much better than in previous years. I think just like they have like this back against the wall mentality when they're on the road. Like they no one expects them to win because it's on a road conference game. So it's almost like they have like a nothing to lose mentality when when they're on these like road games in a hostile environment. So I think maybe like having that chip on their shoulders helps them a little bit more than it does when they're at home in research. No, it, it's certainly, it certainly appears that way. And you know, it's, it's really something where I think we're seeing it almost in all phases of the game. Just that chip on the shoulder is maybe making Oregon state play better. I mean, just look, I guess let's look like from an offensive perspective at Cal, you know, the, the offense jumped out to that 14 zero lead midway through the second quarter. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's not like the Beavers are going up and down the field on Cal all game or anything, but that's a really good Golden Bears defense. I thought the offense, you know, especially late, made that drive when it needed to. But then, you know, if you look at, at the defense, I mean, Cal backup quarterback, Devon Modster, we already talked about it. It's not, not exactly Aaron Rodgers out there. No. But, you know, the, Be- the Beaver D was fairly dominant. I mean, holding Cal, what, 282 yards of total offense, racking up 14 tackles for loss. We saw the nine sacks. Those were some historic numbers for the Beaver defense. I mean, I guess specifically for the defensive side of the ball, that was just a really incredible performance on Saturday, don't you think? Oh, it, it totally was, Bob. And I think what's what's even more kind of impressive than, than the defense is the adjustment the offense made in the first quarter. Because you know how they went? I don't have the numbers in front of me, and they didn't put up the best offensive statistics on Saturday against Cal, but the first two drives were three and outs. And it's like when when you go three and out twice and you just give the ball right back, it's kind of it, for me as a as a spectator, it's kind of like, okay, here we go again. Like, you know, like Cal's gonna come down and score. They're gonna get out of it. They're gonna get in a not in a groove or a rhythm. But they didn't and they made like whatever adjustment Coach Linger and Coach Smith made. I know you mentioned it in one of your tweets that they made that adjustment, and it and it definitely clicked from there on out after those first two and outs. 
Yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to get some specific details on, on a couple of the adjustments. I, I doubt we'd ever be able to get them. But one thing it noticed to me, it looked like that they were really they found a weakness temporarily up the seams with Cal. I think they were really starting to attack a couple things there, and they were also using a little bit of misdirection. And I think that they they it, it was really only for a couple drives because outside of really Oregon State's three touchdown drives, they didn't really move the ball that much. But there were a couple instances where it seemed like. Coach Lindgren and Coach Smith, they really did find a couple weaknesses. And I thought they did a really good job of exploiting those to get up, get 21 points against what is a really, really good Cal defense. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, uh, the linebacker, Evan Weaver, was very much involved, like in yeah. double, digit, double digit tackles for whatever, you know, making it almost like 100 tackles on the season. But they definitely game planned and maneuvered around that star of the defense. And, you know, made it happen and got a huge road win. And now they're going into a bye week where they can prepare and get a win on the road again in Tucson. Yeah, you mentioned Evan Weaver. That was 21 tackles for uh, 21. Yeah, (laughs) that is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, one, one last point on the OSU defense uh, before we move on. I, I really do want to give um, credit to defensive coordinator Tim Tebasar because I, I have certainly criticized uh, him in the past, and he is—he's uh, kind of shutting me up with what he's been doing with the defense at times this season. You know, the Beavers statistically uh, tied for seventh nationally at eight point six tackles for loss per game, have already twenty-one sacks this season after recording just fifteen all of last year. Uh, it's a, a remarkable improvement. Uh, and particularly on that defensive line and also the linebackers. I, I think if you look at the the back end of Oregon State secondary or you know defense, the secondary, there's still some issues there that I think you know like a Washington and Oregon, a Washington State. I think those teams might expose uh, a couple things. But man, I, that Oregon State front seven, they're, they're playing pretty darn well overall. And I, I have to give Tibisar a lot of credit, like I said, for uh, for the massive improvements we've seen from year one to year two. But you make a great point, and I don't think I could say it any better because the the secondary is young, so there is a lot of inexperience there. But the front seven, especially, I think a couple weeks ago they had you know however many sacks they're on pace to like double what they had last year, right? Um, and Hamaka Rashid Jr. and uh, just just like all those all those guys who are just causing havoc in opponents' backfield, you know, makes it harder for them to you know attack them downfield, which, you know, relieves a little bit of stress for the secondary. And, you know, if they keep that up, you know, who knows? Who knows how many games they could win with uh, the defensive play? And, you know, I mean, the Oregon State has not faced the strongest offenses the last few weeks. Everyone knows that. But we still have to no. acknowledge the progress. And the thing, too, is the defense is being helped out. At, at times by the offense because, you know, the Beavers didn't run the ball trip, tri- you know, that well at Cal, but still got more than 100 yards against a very stout defense. Yep. The other thing, the other thing the Oregon State offense hasn't been doing is turning the ball over, which always helps out the defense. You know, Jake Luton just with that one pick and 16 touchdowns, the Beavers yep. the only Division One team without a fumble. I mean, that is that is a really great way to help out your defense, isn't it? By not turning the football over as an offense. It absolutely is, and that's something they take a lot of pride in. Bob is like when they when we interview them on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, like we every every single week we're like, you know, you you didn't turn the ball over, like what's what goes into that? And there's you know obviously they do ball security skill, uh, you know, drills at practice and everything, but turn, not turning the ball over is something they take a lot of pride in, and I think it you know shows when they play on Saturdays. 
So who are your favorite? Uh, who who did you get to talk to after the after the cow game? And who were your favorite guys that you know that, that you were able to talk that you were able to interview and kind of chat about what what a what a great victory that was? Who okay? Who is my favorite? Um, or a couple? I don't I don't know. I definitely don't want you to have to single anybody out if you don't want to. But yeah, who no. who really who, who made an impression on you uh, after um, that game? Gosh, name is um escaping me, but Hamako Rashid Jr. Had a couple always. good things to say. I mean, he's always, you know, entertaining after, especially after a win. Uh, but, you know, we asked him, you know, after, you know, being f- thrown 52 points on, on at home, coming back on the road against Cal, you know, only holding them to 17. Uh, I, you know, asked him, like, did, did you take that Utah game personally? And he's like, absolutely. Like, I take everything personally. Like, this is a personal game. People are going to come into our house throw up you know 52 points we're going to come back the next week and show you know the country that you know we're not anyone to be pushed around like like utah did on uh two weeks ago um I so i yeah. i think he made a good point in that i thought that was uh, you know pretty entertaining soundbite yeah, I think we saw some of that out of uh, defensive tackle Jordan Whitley, too. I know he's a very prideful guy. I think that what, when things have gone poorly for the defense, I know he's taken some responsibility on that, too. It, right. it, it, do, it does feel just a little bit different with the defense. I mean, they just had so many problems last year, couldn't really stop anybody. And after the Oklahoma State game, I think a lot of us were unsure if we were going to see more of that this year. And Again, you just got to credit the players. You got to credit the coaching staff. Things are undeniably different this year. I think from a Oregon State fan perspective, it's really nice to see. And and uh, you said Jordan Whitley. That was the other player I was, I was trying to think of. Like who, who else yeah. was in that defensive room? Um, he he said, which I thought was uh, entertaining too, that you know Cal recruited him, or Cal did not recruit him out of uh, junior college. So they, they they passed him up, and basically he's from that area. So that was a very personal game for him too. Not just getting the win against Cal with his teammates, but just for him personally. Um, he said he said he took that uh, to heart. So after the UCLA win, I saw it was floated on Twitter that on ESPN's SP Plus metric, it gave Oregon State a twelve percent chance of becoming bowl eligible. Again, that was after the UCLA win. Right. I thought I thought at the time I thought that was maybe a little ambitious. Just considering OSU was two and three overall with a tough yep. schedule remaining, but you know there, there was no doubt the Beavers were trending in the right direction. And yep. I have not seen a, a new projection for this week, but I, I have to imagine SP Plus would probably still give the Beavers maybe right around the twelve percent chance with three of twelve uh, percent chance of making a bowl, meaning that they would need to win three of their last five to get to that six and six in bowl eligibility. And right. again, those ga- those games in order after this week's bye are at Arizona. Washington, Arizona State, at Washington State, and at Oregon. Yeah. I I just can't I just can't see the Beavers winning three of those games <laughs> currently stand. But but you know, in fairness, the Arizona and Arizona State games do definitely seem winnable. So I, I could see five. That to me would feel optimistic. Six is probably just too optimistic for wins. I guess what are what are your kind of thoughts on all of this and should Oregon State really even be thinking at a bowl in this stage shouldn't they just kind of be thinking hey let's just go beat Arizona and then go from there I mean uh you're you're, you're kicking yourself right now over that Stanford loss aren't you yeah. <laughs> and the Hawaii game and the Hawaii game but you know regardless I think there is 
there's something in 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 this team, Bob. I think they, they you know they haven't had the last you know however many years is like hope. Like okay, we got we got to win three out of the next five to be bowl eligible, and I feel that they could definitely go down in Tucson get a win there. Then when they come back, you know, at home research stadium, they can get you know like Washington's going to be tough, Oregon's going to be tough, but you know Arizona State at home like they come in with uh they go you know one and one after this week like you know that you win arizona you know loss against washington there's got to be a lot of people coming to race research data for that asu game so you know they win at home i think i think they have a chance to do it i just don't know if the cards are lined up against a really good washington team a a pat a pass first washington state squad and then obviously Oregon at Austin Stadium so I ho- I hope they do but we'll see yeah you kind of you, you kind of nailed it there with like Washington State because you know the Cougars certainly aren't a juggernaut this year but I just don't think that's a good matchup for Oregon State because the the Oregon State secondary is clearly probably the biggest weakness on the team Washington State can still throw the ball great I just that that seems like it's not a great matchup and then Washington Oregon while the Beavers have made great strides in terms of physicality, I just am not sure Oregon State can really match what Oregon and Washington can do in the trenches yet. Arizona and Arizona State, I think those are much more likely. And I think if the Beavers were to finish 5-7 and seven in Jonathan Smith's second year, I think that would be a incredible achievement considering where the program was just you know 18 months ago or so. Totally. But to, but, but to really, you know, be thinking about bulls right now, that just seems to be to me, seems to me to be a bit premature. I think the team should probably just focus on, hey, let's get that third Pac-12 win. Let's get that and, fourth Pac-12 win. That and, just that's seems- exa- and that's exactly what they're doing, Bob, because I asked them that today, just kind of just see like where their heads were at. Because a lot of teams, like when I played at TCU, we had a pyramid and every week we would cover the pyramid in purple marker on whether we reached that goal or not. And it's literally, you take it one game at a time, but at the very top, it's a national championship, college football playoff, you know, New Year's Six Bowl, Bowl, and then, you know, winning the Big 12. But I asked them if they had any goals like that. They don't necessarily have a chart that Jonathan Smith has, like, laid out and explained to them. But definitely, they're, they want to go to a bowl game for the first time since 2013, but they're not necessarily thinking about it. Or, you know, they got to take it one game at a time, and that starts with Arizona. That's what they said today. Just how weird are the Pac-12 North standings right now? I mean, it looks like Oregon's going to comfortably win the division, and the Beavers are sitting all alone in second place at 2-2, two and two, you know, half a game up on Washington and Stanford. It is Beaver- so funny. It is so funny to look at because it's just – when I saw it, I was like, I was like, wait, are you serious? And then I, I, was, I remembered that, you know, Stanford has been struggling, Washington lost to Cal, and, you know, it's just kind of a mess in the middle of the Pac-12 North. But, <laughs> you know, gives, gives, uh, gives OSU a chance. The Beavers will be no worse than tied for second in the Pac-12 North entering in November. I, I highly doubt a lot of people nationally predicted that before the season. It's just wild. Right. And you know what? The over-under for their win total in Vegas was two games. Like, they, they surpassed that this week. So, a big win. I'm sure some uh, maybe some Sharps who had some money on Oregon State were big winners with that upset win at Cal, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you already mentioned it, uh, or bye week for Oregon State. So, uh, I guess what what are your what are your weekend plans? Are you going to be able to catch that big Texas TCU game on Saturday? That's uh, that's kicking off at twelve thirty. I will definitely be watching that from the office. Um, 
we're gonna we're just getting ready for our KZI college game night that airs around eight thirty after the four thirty ABC game. But I will definitely be very tuned into that game because even though the frogs have been struggling this year, uh, you got to get fired up for UT and OU. Well, and also with what we saw from Texas last week, I, I think that uh, anybody can put up some points on that Texas defense, right? <laughs> Almost dropping an egg against Kansas. Okay. <laughs> Man, that was entertaining. I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely streaming the ending of that one at home, like everyone else, rooting pretty hard for Kansas. But that was, oh, I know. you, you I knew once it. Texas got, you knew when Texas got down there that they were going to make that field goal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, but you know they're they're coming to our house, they're coming to Fort Worth, making the drive down. So my hopes are high. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, Robbie, thanks, uh, thanks so much uh, for for uh, joining. We'll have to have you uh, back on the show sometime, maybe during basketball season. Absolutely, Bob. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Robbie. All right. Time to take one last break, and I'll be back to wrap up the show. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. I know I said last week that I planned to have some basketball content for you guys, but there was just too much football news with the big one in the stadium uh, expansion. Well, renovation, I should say. And uh, it sort of just fell through the cracks. That that will not be the case next week as I will dedicate some of the show to men's and women's basketball. Uh, the men have an exhibition Wednesday night against Carroll College and play another exhibition next Tuesday against Warner Pacific before hosting Cal State Northridge, the Matadors, November 5th to open the regular season. As I have spoken about briefly, I think this is going to be a really, really strong season for Wayne Tinkle and the men's basketball program. The women have also, uh, they also have some home exhibitions lined up with Union. Uh, I'm not sure what Union is. Never heard of that one on Sunday. And then Concordia on November 1st. Uh, The Beavers will also get to host Team USA. Super cool for a game on Monday, November 4th. Uh, That should be be a really great one to watch at Gill Coliseum. And I imagine the atmosphere will be electric that night uh, for the women's national team. That will do it uh, for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Big thanks to Robbie Feeling from KZI for joining the show. And I will be back next week after the bye week. Thanks again to all my loyal listeners. You guys are the best. Have a terrific weekend, everybody.